The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Well, Holy Cross, it is so good to be with you. And man, you guys can greet one another. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Um, I've got my, my timer here that I'm going to start. James said three hours. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know where you're at, James. No. Um, man, it really is a blessing to be with you. My name's Josh Harp. Uh, as was as was just said, and uh, I'm presently we're preparing to plant this church in Phoenix, um, but it's been such a joy just to get to know the other churches in our presbytery. This is actually the first time that I've been with you all, and uh, but yet I know Pete from uh, way back. We serve on a leadership team through the Surge Network together, and so we've served on that team for years. And so it really is when I say it's a joy to be with you. It's really neat because I've thought about you often. I've prayed for your church numerous times. And uh, knowing your pastor, I already kind of get a sense of some of the culture and some of the authenticity and and, uh, the friendliness that we just experienced. That's kind of the way Pete is, isn't he? He's very friendly, very warm. So it's great to be with you. If you would, grab your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 13. Um, When I kind of learned that you guys were in this series and was asked to think about one of my favorite stories from Scripture. This was one of the first ones that I thought about from Numbers 13. Some of you might be scratching your heads going, okay, what what in the world is he going to preach on in Numbers 13? You might be familiar with the text. Um, But this is a pretty key story and image uh, for me and for us and our family. And so I wanted to share it with you this morning. So if you would, turn to Numbers 13, and I'm going to read verses 21 through 33. And I don't know if this is your practice, but if, it's, if it is, great. If not, humor me. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Numbers 13, verse 21, all the way through the end of the chapter. You can follow along in your text. It says, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rahab, near Lebo Hamath. They went up into the Negeb and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. 
So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, <clears throat> several years ago, I think it was probably about five or six years ago now, um, our family came across a bad batch of blueberries. And we discovered that it was a bad batch of blueberries uh, just a few hours after eating them. <laughs> and I'm not going to go into the details with you. Yeah. You're welcome, right? <laughs> yeah, somebody said thank you. Um, but everything that you just imagined was probably, probably true. Um, now, I'll just tell you, I was never a huge fan of blueberries. I've never had a particular affinity for that fruit. But this moment in our family, like, it put the nail in the coffin for, for blueberries for me. Even to this day, I, I can't eat blueberries. And it's kind of this little joke within our family. I have three kids. And uh, my whole family knows that I just really don't like blueberries. They still can eat them for some reason. God only knows. Um, but I just can't eat blueberries. And actually, my son, just the other day, my kids were making bracelets for us with little phrases on them, like, I love you, and you're awesome, and stuff like that. And he's like, Dad, I made you a bracelet. And he gave it to me, and it was a blue bracelet. And on it, it said, blueberries. <laughs> he likes to torture me, I guess. But as we approach this text today, we're going we're gonna to be considering our, our fruitfulness as Christians and as a church. That's going to be a key word today for us to consider, our fruitfulness. Um, and so I want to put together a, kind of a strange question before you as a church. Uh, and I want you to ask yourself this question sort of continually as we go into the sermon, and as we sort of dive into to where the Lord would lead us today. And here's the question. What do you, or what do we as a church, what do we taste like? What do we taste like as a church? That's a, I know, it's a strange kind of abstract sort of question. But what do we taste like as a church? And I think that this small story in the life of Israel that we see here in Numbers 13 is going to give us a real vivid and clarifying in many ways picture um, of the role of the church in the world today. That's why I've picked it as a favorite story of mine. So a little background. So as we know, as many of you know, if you know the story of God, you know that this portion of the story is a portion where God has formed a people for himself, the people of Israel. And he's, he's actually blessed them. We read about this in Genesis 12. God comes to Abram, says, I'm going to bless you. And through you and your descendants, your family, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And so there's, there's this idea that the people of God are conduits of God's blessing, his, his peace and shalom and fullness. They've experienced it, and now they are to be conduits or dispensers of this blessing. God dramatically rescues his people from slavery, bondage in Egypt through the Exodus. And this rescue becomes this very key fundamental part of their identity as a people. They're known as the ones who are rescued by the mighty hand of God. This becomes such an essential part of who they 
are who they were. And not only were they rescued from slavery, as we know from the story of Israel, but as they begin to journey and travel, they were actually being delivered or given into this land of promise, this land filled with milk and honey, this land of blessing, and again, of we hear some of the echoes from the garden come back to us, this land that would be a place of flourishing for the people of God. And so they're journeying towards this land of promise. And at our point in the story today, Israel had arrived at this pivotal moment in their journey. Really pivotal moment in their journey. They were right on the cusp of the land of promise that God had declared was theirs. And they get to this, get to this place. And earlier in this chapter, God says to them, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So they sent spies. And Moses tells these spies, in verse 17, he says, See what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad. So this is exactly what they do. They send in these spies to go and and scope out this land, and these spies return, and when they return, they bring back a report. And essentially, the report is kind of in two parts. Part one essentially says this, okay, the land is fruitful. The land is filled with promise. The land will be a place of flourishing for us in that sense. That's kind of part one of the report. But part two of the report, they said, but there are obstacles to the land that are too great for us to overcome. God, essentially, they're saying, God cannot give us this land. And they express doubt in his ability to provide for them. If you think about it, in many ways, the forces of their world at the time, the dominant forces of their world were pressing in around them. These Israelites, they knew their strength and they knew their weakness. They knew what God was calling them into, and despite God's faithfulness to them, they despaired in his ability to provide for them. They despaired in his strength to give them this land. Caleb, we know it from our, from our text, Caleb tries to rouse them. He says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it, he says in verse 30. The rest of the spies, though, said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And in that, they bring back um, fruit from this land. That's going to be a key picture for us. Fruit from this land for the Israelites to taste and to see that this land is good. And if you think about it, this fruit, this fruit was good and it corresponded to the good promise of God. It corresponded to what God has said, that this land will be fruitful and it will lead to flourishing. So as we consider who we are as the church, our identity and our purpose in the world, who Holy Cross is in the context of Tucson, I think that this image, this picture in this story, the spies going in and bringing back fruit, I found it to be a very helpful image. This is one that uh, for us and our kids, we've got kids from, let's see now, they're 9, 11, and 13, so they're kind of the rough ages. And for probably about the last four or five years, We've utilized this story from Scripture to be one for us as a family that we use as a real kind of active image for the way we view ourselves and our role in the world. 
how we view what our purpose and identity as the church is in the world. Um, and so it, I found it to be very helpful. And I think that if you think about Israel's story, think about the time in which Israel is at right now and how that parallels to where you and I live today, like the time in history that we're at. So Israel, just as God's people were between their great rescue, the Exodus, and their glorious future, the promised land, so you and I today, we today are between God's great rescue, Jesus' death and resurrection, and his glorious future, the return of Christ ushering in his kingdom fully and finally into the world. And just as the spies brought back fruit from this promised land, giving Israel, and think about it this way, this fruit gave Israel a taste of their future. Right? These spies brought in these clusters of grapes and figs and pomegranates, and it gave them a taste of their future. So you and I today, we are called to produce fruit in our lives which gives others a taste of God's kingdom, his coming kingdom, the future where all of history is leading, if you want to think about it that way. This is a passage I know many of you are familiar with. In Galatians 5, Paul, Paul speaks of this, and he uses the fruit imagery. And I want, to, I want us to look at this really quickly in Galatians 5. He uses fruit as a metaphor for what is produced in our lives. Think about it in the context of these spies bringing back fruit. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, or idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then look, at, he, he turns his letter here and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, he says. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Now, when we read this list, and I know for, for many of us, you might have this in a plaque on your wall at home. You might see it every day. You may kind of go through and just know the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't just some arbitrary list for us from God. Saying, just do these things. Be loving. Be kind. Be gentle. Be self-controlled. This isn't something where sometimes we, we picture God as like the great rule maker in the sky. And he's just dueling out these rules. No, 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 no. When you think about this list, Paul is rather giving us a key of what it means to be truly human. Of what it means to really flourish. If we, if we really believe that God is the creator of the world, which he is and which we do believe, and this list says, this is how you truly function and flourish in the world that I've created. This is how you are to be and to live into the creational good of what I've made you to be as humans. This is how you truly flourish in the world. See, deep down, really deep down, you long to live this way. You do. And, and you might be a, a stalwart member of Holy Cross. You might have been a part of maybe the core team that planted the church. 
You might be new today. This might be your first Sunday here. Regardless of where you're at on that spectrum, this is true of you. You desire to flourish in this way. You, you really desire at a deep down level to be connected with your creator and to truly flourish as his creation. You have this. Your, your neighbor has this. Your boss, coworker has this. Everyone you know longs for this. Each one of us has a deep-seated longing to function according to our original design, to be truly human. Look down your row for a minute. Go ahead. You can do it. It's all right. Careful not to fellowship, though. We <laughs> learned about that already. Every single person down your row longs for this. Every single person you passed on your way to church longs for this. So how do we produce the fruit of God's kingdom right here in the present? How, how do we, and this is kind of the question for us, how do we do that to which Galatians 5 calls us, to which Paul calls us to in Galatians 5? How do we do that to which the story of the spies shows us, this fruit coming back to show and to give the Israelites a taste of their future? How, how do we become the kind of people God calls us to be in the world? Well, to put it simply, and maybe bluntly, we cannot be the kind of people that God calls us to be in the world on our own. On your own, you can't become the kind of people that God calls you to be. When we fix our eyes on ourselves, what do we see? We see, a, like the Israelites, we see a weak people who are unable to combat the strong forces in their world. You live in a world that is dominated by systems that are much larger than you. And if you think about yourself in the context of, of, of governance systems, your work and the systems of even your, maybe the corporation you work for, they're so much larger than you. So we're, we're a weak people when we consider those things. Many times we're a faithless people. We think about the Israelites, we think about ourselves. We're a faithless people who would rather return to slavery because it's familiar than to place our confidence in God who is leading us into the unknown aspects of what it is to step out and to step into faith or activate faith in our life. Many times we can be a faithless people. Many times we're a stubborn people, right? Who refuse to listen and trust and insist on our own way. You didn't know that the guest preacher this morning was going to be so encouraging, did you? But here's the truth. When I think about myself, those things are all so true of me. And many times in my life, weak, faithless, stubborn, desiring my own way, desiring my own path. And this is also true of you as well. On our own, we can't be the kind of people that God calls us to be in our world, we'd rather eat the corrupted fruit of slavery many times than take the good but unknown fruit of God. Um, I came across a, a very convicting and, and thought-provoking article actually from a missionary returning to America after many years abroad. And um, we really need, I, th I think, we really need to listen to our missionaries when they return home. Because they will have insights for us into the way in which we as a culture have 
accommodated and have kind of slipped back into some of the rhythms of our culture that we don't see. And, uh, and so this missionary did precisely this, and, and she writes this article based on how the church has become sort of complicit in consumerism. And so I want to read you a portion, and, and some of you this might not hit you at all, and, and others of us it's, it's going to hit right to the core. But I want you to listen and think about us as a church as she writes these words. She says this, American consumerism has crept into the sacred beliefs of our faith. Rather than understanding that faith in Christ means that He gets our everything, many Americans believe that Jesus is just a nice addition to our already nice lives. We wouldn't say that, of course, but our beliefs are exposed in the way we are living be honest, she says, this type of, and then she says in quotes, Christianity is not only disturbing, but I believe it is a false gospel that is deceitful and damning to our culture. If Jesus is merely an addition to our American dream, then who really needs one more thing on their plate? If Jesus is just a great way to help us live more moral lives, have better relationships, and then she says this very particular phrase, which is kind of humorous. She says, um, have better relationships and slightly above, above ogre behavior at our kids' soccer games. I was a soccer parent for a number of years, so that, that hits a little deep for me too. She says, if that's all, She says, better relationships, better behavior at soccer games, more moral lives. Then she says this, then who really needs him? She says, can't Oprah help us with that? And then she says this, if we think of Jesus as an addition to our lives and not our everything, then we do not really know Jesus. We are deceived, she says. And I think this is true. Many times as a church, I feel like we sink our teeth into this bad fruit, using that picture again. We sink our teeth into things like consumerism. And we think that it's going to lead to flourishing. But really, we show that we're more like the Israelites going back to slavery. And this fruit that we're imbibing is, is a lot like those blueberries that I ate years ago. And they, they kind of rot us out on the inside. They destroy us from the inside. And she said something in this article that I think is key for us. She said, she says, our beliefs are exposed in the way that we're living. This is, a, this is another thing for us to think. When we think about belief as a church, especially the church in the West, sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking that belief is like mentally grasping something. Like we think about belief and we speak about belief like I have kind of intellectually ascended to this place, Right? Where in my mind, I believe that this is true. But what she's saying is, you can't just do that and then go about your life in ways that are incongruent with that. Your life will show if you really believe, in a more holistic sense, what you declare you believe. Right? Our beliefs are exposed in the way we are living, she says. And so fruitful living is a result. It's a result of the gospel having its way with you, with us. Any good fruit produced in your life is a result 
of the good news bearing fruit in your heart. As we said before, you're not able to produce good fruit on your own. This is a good phrase for us to think about and repeat when we think about this message, when we think about good fruit from us. And it's just simply this. Any good fruit from me, any good fruit from you, comes from the good news working in me. Any good fruit from me comes from the good news working in me. Think of verses like 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. Or Philippians 2, work out your your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't end there. For it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you. So what is this good news? Well, this good news is simply this. It's that God is redeeming all of creation through the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he has chosen to start this work in humanity. Paul in Romans 8, he speaks to this, and he speaks about fruit here in an interesting way. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He says this in Romans 8. See, Jesus is the one who has, who has brought the new creation into the present. Jesus is actually the prized fruit which gives us a taste of the new creation. You think of the psalmist in Psalm 34 that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus himself says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing, he says. So again, any good fruit from me, any good fruit from us as a church, any good fruit that comes out of us, comes from the good news of Jesus working in us. It's a good good phrase for you to have. When you notice something good coming from you, when you notice love and joy and peace and self-control and patience, I don't know, for some of us, man, patience is a big deal. You're like, I don't have that on my own. And when you notice patience coming out of you, you're like, praise Jesus for what you're doing in me. Because that doesn't come from me. And so, allow it to be a conduit of worship for you. When you see good fruit coming from you, to give praise to your maker for the good news of Jesus working in you, We can't produce the good fruit on our own apart from God's Spirit working in us. We can't give others a taste of God's glorious future unless we ourselves have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You can't offer anyone true life unless you yourself are abiding in the true vine. You can't, in some ways, in many ways, you can't display what it means to be truly human to the, to the outside world. This is what it is to be a flourishing, true human unless your confidence is in the Redeemer, the one who has brought us back into fellowship with God to know what it is to be truly human. So any good fruit comes 
from you is a result of the gospel working in you. So in closing today, I want you to consider a few questions. What does it look like for you today? And, and maybe take these questions corporately as a church, but also take them personally. You think about your family. You think about your role in your household. Maybe you're a son or a daughter. Maybe you're a mother or father or a grandparent or a caretaker. Think about these, these personally today. What does it look like for you to put on Christ today? What does it look like for you to put on Christ What does depending on Jesus look like in in your life right now? Right now is in this very moment, this afternoon, today, this, this week, or this season of life. What does depending on Christ, trusting in Christ, look for you right now? What is your all consuming faith in Jesus? This is a key one for many of us. What is your all consuming faith in Jesus? calling you to die to in your life right now? And what is it calling you to live toward? You think about the Israelites and their their faithlessness. I think that in response to the sermon, for some of us, it may be a response of confession and repentance. Lord, I I know that you're calling me to die to those old ways, to to the flesh, which has a hold on me. Spirit, help me. Help me to mortify those sins and help me to live toward the future where where all of history is going help me to live towards your kingdom and i returned to that question earlier the strange question what do we taste like as a church what do we taste like what do we taste like as a corporate church what do you taste like personally in your life those that experience you what do they experience And take a moment just to allow God's Spirit that inspired this text to be written to speak to you regarding how you are to walk in faith and obedience to his word this morning. God chose to give the Israelites a glimpse into the promised land when the spies brought back fruit from their time in the land, giving them a taste of their future right in the present. God has redeemed us through Christ and through His Spirit. He produces gospel fruit in our lives. This fruit gives others a foretaste of God's future. The future of God's kingdom, which is here now in part, but one day will arrive in the full. You and I, we are called by God to bear this kind of fruit for His glory and to give others a taste of his kingdom.